Today's podcast isn't sponsored by anyone, because apparently I have a bad attitude. Me, a bad attitude. I'll tell you who has a bad attitude, all of you. But that won't be a problem after I complete my plan for worldwide domination. Now, where did I put my to-do list? Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am, as always, Morris, aka Russ, or Russ, aka Morris, and with me is my Academy Award winning fellow co host, Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. And which Academy did I win an award, an award from? Well, I'm not telling. Yes. Oh. Well, no, I did not specify <laughs> which Academy. <laughs> if you think it's movies, you're deeply disappointed. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Peter. Yes, it's been quite a big week. It's been an it's been a massive week. Yeah. Turbulent. So what's uh, what's caught your eyes in the last week? Several things have caught my eye. Several things. Several things. Well, that's I a bit, bit greedy, don't you think? I know, but I'll, I'll only choose one. Okay. And save the others to froth about later right. if they come out in the news. But the big thing that I've noticed is uh, Sandy Peterson's Call of Cthulhu for Pathfinder. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, the Call of Cthulhu, the Mythos setting based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft and many others, mm-hmm. that is absolutely huge for me personally because mm-hmm. I'm like big fan of his work. His writing, I'll be honest, it's not great. The, per- the prose is a deep, deep shade of purple, but guilty pleasure, hands up, I do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And his racial politics are like super uncool, dude. But you know what? It, it's still like the, that sense of creeping horror, which is absolutely fantastic. And I love in stories. Mm. So you say it's called a Cthulhu for Pathfinder. It's yes. not actually called a Cthulhu, is it? It's the Cthulhu Mythos. It is Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah, it's yes. called a Cthulhu being a different game. Call of Cthulhu is a very different game. Yes. yes. But, yeah. um, so what, what actually is it, though? I haven't, I haven't um, looked into it closely. Uh, well, essentially, it's a honking 412-page source book where he addresses various things like Rules for insanity. And one of the things I really appreciate is he's making it very clear that he's talking about like sort of insanity has represented in literature and film as opposed to real life insanity, mm. which is a very different kettle of fish altogether. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like ment- actual mental illness is not something uh, that I personally think is something to be taken lightly. It's an area surrounded by ignorance and prejudice, uh, which is uh, pretty unfortunate, really. Mm. But no, um, what he does is he looks at a sort of the cinematic take. He's also got things like enhanced rules for cat folk based on weird cats. Uh, there's like the, I can't remember the name of it. It's that city with like loads of cats. And then uh, they appear. So, yeah, Southampton Kit- has loads of cats. Yeah. But, yeah. I went but, out earlier today and I saw one. Kit- Kitties has PCs. So, you know, the other the small feline companions are now uh, playable races available to him. So this is my like a setting book for Pathfinder, basically. Yeah, you, you, I'm going to say you will need the Pathfinder base rules. Yeah. I don't know too much about it because I haven't actually got a copy of it myself. Mm. Not actually playing Pathfinder. But the thing that will cause intense amounts of uh, froth is that they're planning on releasing the Kickstarter in October. Interesting. I mean, they've got one for fifth edition going on right now, haven't they? That is probably the one I'm, I'm thinking of. So yeah, fifth edition Cthulhu Mythos. Yes. That, that's that's going to be a big deal. Hmm. Uh, because one of the first things many people want to try and hack fifth edition to do is try and make it run horror games and so forth. Something which isn't the most 
obvious and intuitive leap from a rule system that's designed to do high fantasy dungeon rules fantastically well and other stuff maybe less well. Mm. So yeah, sure. no, that's that, that's been a big deal for me and um, looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. Keeping an eye out for that one then. Mm. Mm. Indeed. That's what, as I say, caught my eye, did some research, what can I say? <laughs> What's caught your eye, Russ? Well, a bit, um, bit of sad news actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Greg Stafford... Who was, uh, I mean, you were just talking about um, Call of Cthulhu, but Greg yes. Stafford, the uh, founder of Chaosium, yes. uh, passed away last week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a few days ago, in fact. Mm, that's super recent. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the age of, I think it was about 70. Mm-hmm. Um, he, it was a quite sudden um, occurrence, I believe. Yeah, completely out of the blue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chaosium announced it um, a few days ago, and um, mm-hmm. I think it took a lot of people by surprise. Absolutely. Um, of course, Greg Stafford is, um, I think, you know, when you think about the sort of greats in RPG, you think about mm-hmm. Gary Gygax and yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Arneson and Absolutely. people like that. But Greg mm-hmm. Stafford, without a doubt, is one of those people. Mm-hmm. He was like there back in the 1970s. He's yeah. one of the founding figures of the hobby. Mm-hmm. And um, outside of D&D itself, yes. I'd say, arguably, he's possibly one of the biggest, maybe the biggest figure in the RPG industry. Oh, oh. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, had been absolutely hugely influential. I mean, if you're looking at sort of one of the founding fathers, then mm. yeah, it's great stuff as well. There's RuneQuest, there's um, co creator of the Ghostbusters RPG, which was the first um, mm-hmm. dose pool system. Yeah, um, his uh, Glorantha setting, which is mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the oldest RPG settings in existence and yeah. has been converted into that. Um, you mentioned to me earlier before we um, mm-hmm. before we started the podcast, there's a recent 13th age version of the Glorantha. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I didn't really understand what all the fuss was about, uh, but now it's now I'm like finding out more about it and also mm. things like Hero Quest, mm. which has a kid I played. I played a lot of Hero Quest, <laughs> and yeah, so uh, which he sold the rights to was it uh, Milton Bradley, and then they let the rights expire. So that's why there's been such a revival. Which mm. again, these things, which I mean, finding out that this one guy is responsible for all this stuff has really brought it all together for me. Mm. So, yeah. Interestingly, his last um, public appearance was uh-huh. at the Ennies yeah, okay. uh, last yeah. year. And uh, we've got a video of it on uh, on uh, on the website when uh, we made the announcement that he uh-huh. passed. And uh, he just gave this fairly short but quite, quite sweet speech about the industry and about fans and stuff like that. And I think it was a really nice kind of last, you know, yeah. memory. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like it was a really positive force mm, absolutely yeah yes. well the thing with uh, Greg Stafford is I mean I didn't know him well but I did know him and mm-hmm. he I think out of all the people in the RPG industry he was one of the nicest people mm. I mean he was so so nice to everyone he met um, to fans to um, fellow creators to, well when I say fellow creators it's not like I felt like I was a peer anyway but you know what I mean um, you know he, he was a kind sort of guy yeah I'm not, I've only met him a couple of times uh, I interviewed him once um, and I've exchanged sort of emails with him over the years occasionally so I don't I, you know I don't know him well or personally but you know, I, I met him and uh, every single interaction with him he was just utterly lovely yeah it, 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 he does sound that way from everything I've read um, and a massive creative legacy as well uh, touching like so many people over so many years, it's mm. uh, yeah, quite. Le- le- leaving aside the his personal life, we're just touching on like 
a fracture of his professional, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah, hell of a um, He's uh, his what I, he used to say his sort of greatest um, achievement, his greatest game was uh, yeah. the Pendragon King Arthur game. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, for for him, yeah. certainly he said on record more than once that mm-hmm. um, that is the thing he's most proud of out of all the different that they, he considers that like the masterpiece of his career. Really? Okay. I personally. Was unacquainted with it, except maybe vaguely. Honestly, I'd have a look at it. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's an old it's an old game. Yeah. I mean, look at it through those lenses. But have a look mm-hmm. at it. And the, th- the thing with Greg Stafford, I th- it was uh, who was it? Who said John Wick? Um, he posted yeah. um, sort of uh, obituary because obviously he yeah. knew Greg Stafford quite well. Mm-hmm. And um, he uh, he said uh, in the obituary that this big sort of quote that stood out in the obituary. Mm-hmm. And he said, "What's really interesting about Greg mm-hmm. Stafford is whenever you yeah. think." You've come up with a new game mechanic. Yeah. You can point to Greg Stafford having done it two decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, someone who's really yeah. Whenever you think you've innovated, it. make sure Greg Stafford didn't do it two decades ago because <laughs> he probably did. Uh, I mean, he probably wouldn't mind you saying, "Oh, okay, that's how you do it." Oh, by the way, don't do that. I tried that; it doesn't work. Mm. But try this; it'll, it'll, be, it'll be really good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, a, a big. A big loss to us, and obviously our thoughts go out to his family as well, mm. because, yeah, hell of a thing. So that's, uh, that's the sombre news out of the way. Yes. Let's move on to more cheerful stuff, so Should we just do the news? Yes. Yes, we can be a bit more enthusiastic now. Absolutely. There's a new Unearthed Arcana up. Oh, yes. Which I'm is the uh, sort of playtest free articles that Wizards of the Coast put up. Absolutely, for 5th edition D&D. Yeah, at the moment they're going out once a month. Uh, mm-hmm. This month, um, it's about magic items from the Eberron setting. Oh, so sort of, I'm hoping for a major steampunk feel to these. Mm. Well, we've got um, Arcane Focuses, Enchanted Clothing, Warforged Components, mm-hmm. and more. Um, oh. This article is by uh, Keith Baker, who's a creator of Eberron, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Wizards designers Ruti Rutenberg and uh, Ben Petrizor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, um, it's actually part of the Eberron Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, which is on DM's right. Guild. So it's yeah. actually, um, I think, it's an excerpt from that okay. being sort of pulled out and given away for free as a sort of playtesting thing. Because mm-hmm. wizards like people just sort of focus on certain things that they want playtested and get yes. feed- and then they'll do the survey later and get feedback mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you've got the Wayfarer's Guide to Ever- Eberron, you've already got this. But if you mm-hmm. haven't. Um, mm. And you head on over, well, we'll put the, show, uh, the link in the show notes, mm-hmm. head on over. You can get that and you can give that a quick play test and answer their survey in a week or two. Oh, nice, nice. Ooh. So there's a new D&D board game coming. Oh, yeah? Yes, it's called Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Oh, so they're making a board game as well as the um, 6 to 20 expansion yes. as well. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, so it's going to be um, using the Adventure System games, mm-hmm. which um, which they used for Castle Ravenloft, Legends of Drizzt, Wrath of Ashtardalon, yeah, Temple yeah. of Elemental Evil, that lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like uh, it's compatible with those games, but it's a standalone one. Oh, nice. So, right? um, so, so you can make, you could maybe mix and match them together if you wanted to. If you yeah, I guess. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. also, uh, you it has a sort of modular dungeon tiles used to create the board. Yes. Um, which means that you can, uh, you can, you can sort of. You you say board game, I hear fantastic scenery. <laughs> yeah, well, that's strong convoluted dungeon fights. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. Plus extra minis as well. Yeah, no, but if you're a fan of the D and D board games, this is definitely a sort of must-have, I reckon. Yeah, I, I mean, what I'm taking away from this is I can get like a load of map tiles and like figure scale on them, mm. and 
there's a free board game with it as well. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Uh, any idea about what we've got in it? Um, like prices or how many dudes we have? How many dudes? Yes. Dudes! Uh, Let's have a look, see if we can call up a price somewhere. Yeah. Um, no, there's no price announced yet. The game releases in March 2019. Oh, okay. So it's not like super urgent nah, to find out what's going on. Not in time for Christmas, unfortunately. Never mind. Hello, your editor Daryl here. More information has come out since I wrote the column for Ian World last week. The Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage adventure board game from WizKids will include 42 miniatures, 40 interlocking dungeon tiles, 5 double-sized special tiles, and assorted tokens, playing cards, rule books, etc., and will come in two different editions. The standard edition with unpainted miniatures for $79.99, and a premium edition with pre-painted miniatures for $159.99. I do want to point out that the tiles in the Adventure Game series are thick cardstock, but are still much thinner and more flexible than the ones you'd get from the Wizards of the Coast Dungeon Tile series. So, I hope you know what to expect when you're picking this up as an RPG accessory, rather than the cooperative board game for 1-5 to five players. And it has been officially confirmed that this game does combine with the previous adventure game books and has new rules that are backwards compatible, such as new Bane and Boon cards, as well as doubling the character advancement for player characters. There's no specific release date, but it is still scheduled for March of 2019. So, i got a question for you. Far away. Are you for or against, what's your general stance mm -hmm. on Minotaurs? It depends upon your Minotaur. <laughs> like the ones from uh, the Monster Manual, mm -hmm. like big carry things. They're, they're, they're all right. It's sort of like okay for the the, the old Labyrinth plot that he wants to do. But you know what? Crinish Minotaurs, which are like basically like people. I actually have a really soft spot for them. I really <laughs> like them. Do you like them because they're sailors? Is that what it is? Maybe. <laughs> when you did your sailing course last week, did you put on a hat with horns on it? <laughs> I admit nothing. <laughs> I, did, I, I didn't, in fact, pretend to be a Viking in any way. Uh, well, Except anyway. in my head. Right, come on. So Minotaurs um, yes. are definitely, it has been suspected for a while, and there have definitely been hints being dropped, but have been confirmed by Wizards Jeremy Crawford um, that they will definitely be appearing in Player's Guide to Ravnica as a mm. playable PC race. Mm. Amazing. Uh, totally amazing. Do we, do we know? Are you amazed? Apparently so. Okay. <laughs> Do we know? Probably not, no. Uh, well, I, I was, was aware that Minus Wars were in the offing mm. because uh, a couple of months back there was a sort of a nautical-themed Nerf Arcana. Mm. And I had things like the Spore Druids, the Mariner fighting style, which I personally think is really packed full of flavour. Mm. And there was a few bits of playtest material that I might permit on my games. Uh, and of course, Minotaurs, which I was like looking at going, ooh. Well, now you know why they were playtesting it. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> up in the book. Yes. Yeah, right. oh, it's also obvious in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on? Yes, let's. Uh, Baldur's Gate. Is there a Baldur's Gate 3 in production? Mm -hmm. Well, there might be. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, oh, you're not just randomly speculating. Well, I'm, I'm, I am speculating. <laughs> oh, you are speculating. Um, but um, it's a, it's a, it's an informed speculation. That's unlike you, Russ. I'll be honest. So, Bri <laughs> Brian, no. thank you so much. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, you no, do me self-esteem. So, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're an excellent job. No, I'm just going to go and sit in the corner now, and you can do the podcast on your own. <laughs> <laughs> 
You and Django can do oh. the podcast. Fuck. Oh, excellent. Some sensible conversation. <laughs> Django's extensive knowledge of the RPG industry. Look, if I need some circles turning, Django's got me covered. It is true. Django yeah. is very good at turning in circles. So, Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3. So, Brian Fargo of um, InXL Entertainment mm-hmm. tweeted... Mm-hmm. Uh, last week or was it the week before um, very 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 little and it's very very short but it was just in response to another tw- another tweet and he basically mm-hmm. just said well I know who's working on BG3 Ooh. which immediately everyone jumped upon yeah. um, so it does sound like that is Baldur's Gate 3 um, the rumours have been circulating for a while mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, what, what he was responding to was um was a was a was a tweet which included a link to a 2012 article speculating on Baldur's Gate three, oh. like uh, 2012. God, that's a while back, isn't it? So yeah, um, so yeah, it seems very very likely that BG three in that tweet does in fact mean Baldur's Gate three. It would seem weird if it wasn't. Who he knows? didn't say anything else. Didn't say who was working on the game, uh, whether ah. it was in fact in exile or anyone else. Ah. But. It does sound like Baldur's Gate 3, I mean, with Pathfinder Kingmaker out there and like, getting really, really good reviews, mm. and I've played a bit more of it as well, and I really oh, yeah, like yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it good, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I just haven't got enough time to get as far into it as I want, because mm-hmm. I'm so busy right now. So literally, I'm only like a couple of hours into the game so yeah. far. And, you know, I, I would have hoped to be much further in, but yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. Have, have you got out of the Burning Mansion? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm out of the Burning Mansion, and I am travelling across the world map. Ooh. I've had some random encounters. I've arrived at um, was it Oleg's trading post, someone's trading post, mm-hmm. and some bandits attacked, and all sorts of stuff. Mm. It's all quite entertaining. Marvelous, marvelous. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Skate 3 may be coming soon. Probably coming soon. Mm. Well, not soon, but coming. Yeah. At some point, which yeah. may or may not be soon. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know a, a bit of news that I happen to have picked up. Uh, mm. You're aware of Atchun Cthulhu. Yes, I have heard of Acton Yeah, absolutely. Sort of a pulpy take on um, World War Two meets mm. Cthulhu mythos via generally Savage Worlds and so forth. Yeah. Uh, Acton Cthulhu Tactics uh, hit stores, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. It's a video game. It is a computer okay. game, yes. Um, and, yeah, moderately entertaining. I, 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 I have been... And when I say moderately entertaining, I'm talking as a man who's ploughed in about 23 hours so far. Blimey. Yes. Man, you have, you have <laughs> too much spare time, my friend. Uh, well, that is true. I've, I've managed <laughs> two hours on Pathfinder Kingmaker, and you managed how many hours did you just say? Uh, about ten times that. But yeah, <sighs> I, you know, I, I personally enjoy it, and I happen to know because um, the person who is not named as lead developer, but who did a significant amount of work, was very much involved in doing that. So uh, he's down in Southampton this weekend and I was very pleased about it. And mm. I'm very pleased for him as well. Hmm. Fair enough. Yes, uh, that's for, what's it, uh, Oric Entertainment. Um, there is a exclusive um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage preview up on Wizard of the Coast site. Oh, really? Yes. They make, pains to, they make pains to say it's exclusive, but I suppose it would be, given that it's their own website and their own products. <laughs> Anyway, right, oh, yeah. uh, so, uh, you know, Dragon Plus, their in-house sort of um, uh, promotional magazine thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, that comes out um, every month. Uh, issue 22 just came out. Uh, there is a uh, Dungeon of the Mad Age. Uh, the link in the show notes. Head on over and have a look at the uh, exclusive preview of Waterdeep ah. Dungeon of the Mad Mage over on Dragon Plus. Absolutely. 
I shall probably do that at some point. I would. Yeah, no. hmm. um, it looks quite good. Hmm. Uh, Robert J. Schwab. Oh, that's a name that rings bells. Um, you will have heard from him from such previous products as Shadow of the Demon Lord, um, Dungeons and ah. Dragons 3rd Edition, Dungeons and yes. Dragons 4th Edition, and indeed Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. That's probably why. The That's name probably why you've heard of him. Uh, you know, he's uh, you know he's a he's a well-respected writer and publisher in his own right. Um, he used to work for Wizard of the Coast, mm. has his own imprint now. Yes. Uh, he's launching another imprint um, related to his previous one. Um, this is a D and D specific one. Oh. Um, so he is calling it. He's naming it after his cat. Interestingly. Well, what uh, else would you call something important? Sure. Name it after sure. His cat. I agree. Uh, he's naming it after his cat, and it's called Max Press. So he already he already owns uh, Schwab Entertainment, and this is yes. uh, I think uh, an, an imprint of Schwab Entertainment. Well, at least I might be able to spell Max Press. To be fair, no, there is that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he uh, released this announcement where he talks sort of about his sort of uh, his, his history in D and D and so forth, mm-hmm. and why he's returning to write for D and D. So starting soon, I'm going to see. Does that have uh, a date of any kind? D- does he mention at a point because he likes money? <laughs> well, don't we all? I just throw that out. Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah, so as he says, he, he's very much continuing to support Shadow of the Demon Lord. Mm. Under this imprint, uh, Shroud Entertainment will be publishing a series mm. of short, focused supplements to add a bit of gloom to the otherwise sunny and upbeat worlds of D&D. All righty. Tell me more. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Uh, is, is that what you said? Just a bit of gloom? bit of gloom, he says. Uh, so starting with Blasphemies of Boar Boalsh, which um, <laughs> is Rob Schwab backwards. Oh, oh, a fine tradition. A fine tradition dating back to the 1970s of putting your own name in backwards in, uh, <laughs> in because, D&D products. Because you hate. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, I should do that. Anyway, uh, moving on. Oh, nice. um, so this is going to be 20 wicked spells for the game. Yeah. Um, he's going to continue by producing new options for the various character classes and find other ways to inject a dose of darkness into your games. Nice. There you go. So if you, want a, if you want a few nasty surprises, Max Press is where to look. Absolutely. It seems like there's a sort of a horror revival at the moment with mm. um, the Kickstarter for the Cthulhu Mythos and Pathfinder. Sorry. The Kickstarter for Cthulhu Mythos in Fifth Ed, and now we've got Max Press coming out hmm. with some stuff as well. You know, nostalgia is is big at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely, and horror as well seems to be a strong theme. Hmm. So, what um, else we got? Um, so a quick Paizo news roundup. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, Paizo um, release approximately seventy two point seven billion products per week. Mm-hmm. Something <laughs> on that order. So they've slowed down a fair bit since their heyday. <laughs> um, so there's just a, a very few quick ones to announce. Part 5, the playtest update was released. Mm-hmm. The newest adventure test was uh, called uh, The Heroes of Undarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it uh, sees the heroes exploring the world wound, world wound of Gularian. Mm. Um, so uh, that also included an update to the actual playtest rules. Yes. And uh, it looks like the latest playtest update is they've done an overhaul of Ancestries, which is their name for races. Yes, yeah. Uh, they've responded to criticisms that being a half-elf or half-orc requires too much investment. Okay. They've added a heritage option when choosing Ancestry. Ooh. Okay. So I'm, I haven't looked at it myself. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it sort of opens up some um, first-level feats for most characters. Ah, nice. This is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, also on uh, Paizo News, 
Yes. Uh, previewing some more of the uh, playable species in the Starfinder Alien Archive. Oh, nice. So let's have a look at what some of those are. We should do. Do they have them? Because that sounds like the sort of thing we would do. It does. Right, so there's 16 playable species in Alien Archive 2. Ah, eclectic boogaloo. Hmm. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to it. Hmm. What uh, else is in the news? Two, two, two things that I'd like to promote for myself, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I know it's terrible with me promoting <sighs> my own stuff. Shocking. I know, but you know. Uh, Whatever. Go on, go on. Um, if, it, if it's cool, you know, well, I hear about it. Just released over the weekend a brand new book, mm-hmm. which is called Dark Decade from Dust to Dawn. Ooh. So this is part of the what sort is new W series. W series. So W one was Xenomorphs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, w two is a Dark Decade from Dust Till Dawn. So each one of these Mm-mm. adventures basically explores a different genre. Right. So right. W one was basically space horror with Xenomorphs. W two yes. Dark Decade is kind of more sort of Buffy kind right. of thing, but but it's a bit darker than Buffy. It's not quite as teeny and. Um, quippy it, it, as Buffy is it's more I, I'm, I'm getting the impression it's not going to be shown at 6 o'clock on BBC 2 <laughs> well, well I wouldn't say it's you know I wouldn't say it's that dark but um, I mean this is this is a description of it so uh, basically it's a it's a 40 old page adventure nice. it gives you some um, background information on New York in the 1980s Oh yeah, but this version of New York is a New York where all the bad stuff that happened in the 1980s gets in a New York that's kind of, yeah. That was kind of before New Ma- York was kind of cleaned up. Yeah, massive crime wave. Yeah, but all that mm-hmm. wasn't really a massive crime wave. Bum, bum, bum. It was covered up. <gasps> ah, it was all vampires and ghouls and all this sort of stuff. So supernatural beasties running yes. amok on the streets of New York. Yes. Cats and dogs living together. That sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, this book um, contains an adventure called From Dust to Dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also it contains um, new... The, from, from Dust to Dawn? Dust to Dawn. Dust. Oh, that's right. I, I was thinking it was dust called on. I was just getting no, it wrong. Because dust is there's a, a dust which gives you you breathe it in and it gives you the temporarily the powers of a vampire. Yes, that's um, the sort of the plot point. And it's sure. going onto the streets of New York and stuff, and the feces are kind of invest, trying to investigate what's going on. <laughs> and they frequently turn to uh, dust. Um, I noticed from the cover that you've got Pierce. Is that Darren Pierce? That is Darren Pierce. Okay, and who's the third person? Osvaldo Oyola. Osvaldo Oyola, that's uh, named Kendrick. Yeah, he's a, a friend of mine. I've known him for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morrissey, that would be me. Oh, yes, of course. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, so this book includes the Dampier, which is Ooh, yeah. the half-vampire daywalker, mm-hmm. yep. and werewolf races. Yeah. Along um, with his new careers being the vampire slayer, the demonologist, the exorcist, the guardian, and the sorcerer careers. Oh, so if you like, say, the Blade movies or the Underworld movies... You could definitely throw those in Yeah, there. I suppose, yeah, a good description of this would be Crossblade with Buffy. Oh. And, and you kind of get this. So oh, it's kind of the slightly more adult nature of Blade, mm-hmm. along with the sort of setting of Buffy, I guess. The, the, yeah, the, the, the Scooby Gang, Scooby gang uh, are definitely going to need to up their game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so the other thing um, I am really, really excited about announcing <gasps> is um, we have just announced mm-hmm. um, four new products uh, for the 2018 series. What? Four new products? So these aren't actually part of the currently running Kickstarter, which no. I might add has just past £115,000 and is <laughs> just on the verge of £116,000. Well, £116,000. Mm. 
Um, so that, that's, that's quite good. These these won't be yeah. part of this Kickstarter, but yeah. we, we're announcing them now. When, when does the Kickstarter end? Next week. Next um, so week. this this right. So this podcast is going out on Wednesday. Yep. Uh, next Thursday. So not tomorrow, but the mm-hmm. Thursday after. Okay. So midnight our time uh, or whatever time it is in mm-hmm. whatever time zones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so the four we have announced are. Yes. Two adventures, yes. and those two adventures are Luna One Ooh. and The Cursed Earth. Nice, nice. I can't tell you too much about them yet. We've given, been, we've had approval to announce them. Yeah. Uh, and we've got the initial cover mock-ups mm-hmm. um, up, up on the website, but um, that's, that's it for the moment. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you're a big fan of Judge Dread, then those names will have a certain mm. well, mythic Luna, resonance. Yeah. Luna One's definitely not just the, the sort of small adventures... Um, mm-hmm. When Judge Dredd was Judge Marshall of Luna One, it's mm-hmm. more of a space source book. Oh, okay. So it's slightly larger in scope, right? Um, well, of course, because so, you've got the new uh, set, it, the new system to back you up with your various spaceships, so you can have like a full, fully blown space combat. Oh, well, I suppose you could. Yeah, I mean, Judge Dredd isn't really about no. that so much, but uh, it's, it includes like the Space Corps, it includes uh, like Titan Penal Colony and mm-hmm. all these different sort of as- mm-hmm. space-based aspects of the Judge Dredd yeah. universe, um, so we'll cover all those things in there, Yeah, and Cursed Earth, well, more rules for mutants, yes. uh, adventures, mm. all, that sort of, all that sort of good stuff. Absolutely. So that's two of the products. So that's two fairly solid books, yeah. So those are for Judge Dredd. Yeah. The next two are not for Judge Dredd. Uh, These are the Worlds of 2000 AD part of the uh, the part of the equation. Uh, so we have announced Rogue Trooper. Oh, fantastic. We have announced Strontium Dog. Ah, I see. So again, can't really tell you too much about it yet. Um, but basically if you want to play a GI in a futuristic war or you want to play an intergalactic uh, mutant bounty hunter, we got you covered. The the genetically engineered infantryman with his um psychics of uh, Bagman, Gunnar Bagman and Helm, who uh, goes around trying to clear his name from the terrible betrayal that occurred to him. And of course, you've also got Strongham Dog, who frequently just messes around with time and sees through things with X-ray eyes. Yeah, so yeah. That's what a jazz. Yeah, so obviously you're not playing none of those specific characters, you're playing okay. in their worlds. Absolutely. So, yeah, and you'll be a different bounty hunter, you won't be Johnny Alpha. Yeah, or different genetic infantryman, mm. um, which I imagine will be quite fun. Yeah, so excited about announcing those. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of definitely. wanting to get that out there because I've had so many people asking what's the plans for, and like before, we have to get approval to announce everything. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, we've been like, yeah, we've got some announcements coming soon. Well, there you go. There's the announcement right there. Okay, uh, more clicking. Okay, uh, we do have one last piece of news. Mm-hmm. Would you like a job working for Wizards of the Coast on D&D? Would I have to commute to California? <laughs> no, you would have to commute to Seattle, though. Oh, that's still quite a long way. <laughs> it is quite a long way. But if I was a game developer, I would probably quite enjoy working at Wizards of the Coast, I suspect. So the last game designer um, Wizards hired was back in January, if I remember correctly, and that was Kate Welch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've just put up an advert for a brand new job. Oh. So Kate Welch will soon be the second most newest um, official D and D game designer. Yeah, second most recent hire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this this, this is a, a a job. Obviously, you've got to go and live in in Seattle to do it. Um, yeah. Uh, this position it says creates D and D products, 
such as a book updating a setting to 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Ooh, nice. Responsible for leading one product at a time while providing feedback on other products in production. So... You know, it's quite a it's quite a responsible um, um, game design um, position. And it sounds like they're gearing up to start bringing out things that aren't forgotten realms. It certainly seems so. They've been hitting the old uh, Magic the Gathering setting, so I wonder. What's and everyone, out. and they've done Ravenloft already. Yeah, yeah. And they keep hinting at Spelljammer as well. Oh. So who knows? Who knows? Tease, tease. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, this is what they want. Um, they uh, you need to have um, experience playing and DMing D and D fifth edition. Yeah. Which I assume that most people who apply for this almost certainly have. I, I hope they're into it because otherwise <laughs> it's going to be a terrible job. <laughs> um, you've got to have at least three product credits: uh, books, board mm. games, video games, and the like. Uh, required tabletop or digital RPGs preferred. So uh, if you're a complete noob, they're not that fast. But they do tend to look at the stuff on the DM's guild. Ah, so if you've got a lot of publishing there. Yeah. Okay, okay. Although I did see someone online going, oh, just got to have three products. Well, I can spam out 50 of them. I'll do that by the end of the week. Then I'll get the job. And it's like, yeah, don't look at them. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yes, you yeah. do understand that when you when you show them these three products, they'll look at them. <laughs> oh, awkward, awkward. Yes. Almost like a, a portfolio of prior published work, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, also experience using various software, spreadsheets, Word, Excel, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, familiarity with the Chicago Manual of Style, uh, mastery of English grammar, comfortable with yeah. algebra, experience with InDesign. Yeah. Okay, so that all seems... Yeah, the sort of stuff you would expect. InDesign sort of a layout system, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think probably that's a very wide person specification. Uh, I think probably the only uh, barrier to entry would be things like um, having those products, product references, and, credits. And living in Seattle. And living in Seattle, yeah. yes. Oh, well, I think, I think that is it for the news. Oh, one last thing, um, Peter. We have a correction to last week's news. A correction? Yes. Um, a, a listener, uh, Mike Olson, sent in an email. Okay. Um, so uh, I th- thought, thanks for listening, Mike. Uh, I, I thought and thanks for writing in. What, what's the correction? Um, he says, hey there, I uh, just wanted to email to clarify something about Evil Hat's recent downsizing. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, Chris and Carrie weren't laid off or fired... When it was clear that Evil Hat needed to tighten its belt, Chris and Carrie offered to leave to reduce the company's payroll. Oh, that was very public spirit. Uh, Fred Hicks's blog post didn't specify that, but as per Chris and Carrie on Twitter, that's the story. He also goes on to say, also, I think it's important to keep in mind that Victor von Wolfhausen Smythe was a man so incredibly lies that when death first came for him and showed Vic his claim for him, the good doctor jumped under his size. <laughs> well, thanks for showing that, Mike. We... We do appreciate that. Yes, that was from, that was back from the Limerick uh, competition we had a while back. I I, I recognise I recognise it. Yes. Mm. Uh, talking of Limerick uh, competitions and other competitions, uh, the Judge Dread prizes went out this week. Fantastic now. Because uh, I was waiting for the very la- uh, last proof because there was just one last little correction that was being made. Ah, yes. Which was a slightly annoying little thing, but it was bugging me. So, so have you done the traditional thing of getting your brand new final? Absolutely approved. Everything's good to go. Copy, opening it up, and instantly spotting a typo. Yeah, that happens every time you publish a book. It goes without fail. <laughs> yeah, it is the curse of publishing. 
Hello, thank you for calling the Venture Support Line. All calls are recorded for quality assurance. How may I assist your call? Uh, we, yeah, we were going down a, a, a ten-foot-wide uh, corridor. Uh, uh, Grognas, just, he just dissolved. Uh, Grognas just dissolved, you say? Did you find yourselves suddenly looking around but not seeing anything? Uh, a bit like you failed a perception check? Yeah, yeah. No, no, he's a skeleton floating in the air. Oh, no, he's coming right at us. Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and say he's moving very slowly, about ten feet around. Yes, exactly that, ten feet around. What do we do? Okay, well, first off, it's important to remain calm. Now, do you have any rocks nearby? Oh, yeah, it's a cave. Excellent, excellent. Grab two of them. Now, was Gorknaf your rogue? No, 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 he's a barbarian. He's just a just a bit impatient. No, of course he was. Now ask your rogue if they have any ink and chalk. What? Who's the expert here? Oh uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, she does. Perfect, perfect. Now what I want you to do is take the rocks and cover them with the chalk so they're completely white. Okay. Uh, uh, then what? Okay. Now I need you to use the black ink to draw circles on each of the two rocks. Right. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Good. Now, what I need you to do now is throw the rocks towards the skeleton. Uh, like that. Well, that didn't do anything. They're just kind of hovering in the air. Perfect. Now the gelatinous cube has googly eyes, so you can see it better. Next time, I advise don't dump wisdom. Have a nice adventure, and be sure to complete the survey following the call. Hey Peter. Yes, Russ. How would you like to play our favourite game in all the world? Our favourite game in all the world? Would I ever? Our favourite game in all the world is the one where I give you the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is just from the name. Oh, that one. Okay. But you're you're so good at it. <laughs> I am amazing. I've scored over a million points on several occasions. That thanks, is true. Thanks to the unique <laughs> scoring system that you have created. <laughs> all right then, are you ready? Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. I can see you're poised. Poised, like mm. panther. I can see your eyes are filled with anticipation, eager anticipation. Oh, those are tears, but see some mistakes to make. Right, the first one. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. So what is the Sassoon Files? Is it a source of musical instrument? No, that would be the Bassoon Files. My mistake. Um, <laughs> uh, the Sassoon Files. Well... The Dresden Files was about a wizard, P.I., and the famous series of books. So... I would suggest that the word files probably isn't the, the descriptive factor. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm assuming the Sassoon is the important part, but I'm like, I know like Siegfried Sassoon, who was like a World War I poet, and was not super keen on... No, he was not super keen on World War I. I think it's safe to say that. Was anyone super keen on World War I? Many people were at the time. What can I say? Terrible life decisions. Uh, Rupert Brooke was like really into it. And yeah, that did not go well for him at all. Uh, yeah, so um, Sassoon Files. Presumably not about World War One poets. Because that would be a really depressing game to play. Although quite cool. So it's about some sort... So it sounds like a modern day setting. And Sassoon will hopefully be the titular character. And there will be... A series of investigatory works taking place. So investigatory role play, Monday. Uh, I'm hoping for some magic thrown in there because 
it's role playing. Why not? You know, it's weird. Like, you know, like sometimes you just sort of like nail it perfectly and you get every single detail correct. Is that what? Is this one of those times? This is not one of those times. Oh, this is the okay. opposite of one of those times. <laughs> Where I go meticulously through everything and get every single detail wrong. Every single detail wrong. Did I get the name right at least? I, um, I suppose so. Yeah, you repeated Woo-hoo! the name back to me correctly. Yeah, That's not worth any points. Oh, it's always such a solid strategy. Yeah, so you are going to get uh, minus 342 points. Okay, that's not bad. It's, I, I've had worse, I'll be honest. That is true. Uh, so this is uh, set in 1920s Shanghai. Ooh. It's an uh, adventure and campaign book uh, for Call of Cthulhu and for uh, the gumshoe system. Nice, nice. So uh, it is investigatory... But set in 1920s Shanghai. International so. city of intrigue, espionage, style and violence in a 150 to 200 page book. It's um, a nice place. It's a range of scenarios that can be played as one-offs or as part of the larger campaign. Fantastic. Sounds quite interesting there. Yeah, well, could, could be very much up for that. Mm. Uh, and that's coming out for Call of Cthulhu. Is that Cozy Impress or is it third party publisher? Cozy, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Well, Call of Cthulhu is Cozy. The... Yeah, the... Oh, sorry, the... the Kickstarter is by Singularity LLC. Singularity LLC. Yeah. Okay. Call of Cthulhu is uh, Cozy and yes. Gumshoe is Pelgrim Press. Yes. Uh, Pelgrim Press being the uh, British uh, publishers who also did uh, 13 8, 13th Age as yes, well. Yes, they did. Yes. Okay, the next one. Yep. Rodent Rangers. Small Heroes. Big Adventures. The best game ever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it sounds like um, it sounds like the role playing adaptation of the Rescue Rangers cartoon series, <laughs> where you've got like two tiny chipmunks, Chip and Dale, and uh, their other rodent friends, and they're like, "Okay, this was obviously after your time, hi, um, <laughs> before my time, perhaps, <laughs> uh, potentially, sure." Um, <laughs> so uh, we've got uh, rodent reader, yeah. So you get to role play as a series of rodents. And do, I guess, basically D&D style shenanigans, but has um, very small creatures. Mm. Yeah, I reckon that's worth a good 8 out of 10. Woohoo! It's a family-friendly RPG, yep. inspired by classic cartoons of uh, mousy adventures. Uh, so so the only classic Rangers, cartoon yeah. of mousy adventure I know is Danger Mouse, but it's not that. Yeah, that'd be super not. Yeah, this was like, it's a Disney thing. It's got two chipmunks. One's called Chip, one's called Dale. I don't know why, because they got Chip and Dale, and it was like funny in the 80s. Right, well, this this only has... It's fine. Um, yes, anyway. Yeah, okay. So, your characters yes. are field agents of an international organisation mm-hmm. of problem solvers. Nice. Set in the modern world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you play mice and other small critters. Now, you get some pictures there. Look. Oh, cute. Very, very, very cute looking artwork there. It's obviously designed for kids, and um, yeah, that was fun. Well, it's a family friendly game, yeah. yeah. And kids and big kids, little kids and big kids like can play. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, the uh, the organization, the Rodent Rangers, is uh, headquartered in the basement of the American Red Cross building in Washington D.C. That's a very specific location. It is. I'm sure they have. I'm sure there's a reason for that, but I'm afraid I don't get the cultural signifier. But good for them. Okay. Across. Good stuff. What's next? Dungeon Discoveries. Okay. Uh, Dungeon Discoveries, I would expect a book that is full of tables to procedurally generate a dungeon, full of interesting 
uh, paraphernalia to populate it with, your denizen, some maybe even some sort of is it very fish dead or a sort of system free sort of setting? Hmm. My money smart money probably on fish dead, but I like the idea of a system free one. And then you've got like various things so you can have a real proper OSR crawl where you're just going around through the place and there's just all this random stuff stacked next to each other. You're like, what even is going on here? But it'd be really interesting and fantastic. Okay, well, um, you're not far off. Oh. Um, the only thing you've got wrong, really, there is it's not a book, it's a card deck. Oh. But pretty much otherwise, yeah. yeah. You use these uh, cards, they're system neutral, you mentioned system neutral, and they're yeah. decks to help with world building with a flip of a card. And so each card set yeah. has 400 seeds, and then you mm-hmm. combine two or more of them yeah. to give different combinations, which give different ideas for your adventures. That's a hell of a lot of replayability. Mm. Mm. So there's three sets in the campaign. Mm-hmm. There's Fumbled Searches. Yep. Uh, Curious Treasures. Yep. And a third one, as yet to be decided, but will be Ooh. chosen by a backer poll during the campaign. That sounds like a fantastic idea. I guess in a sort of a different sort of approach to yourself, they don't necessarily have like all the artwork and all the things put in place yet. Or, or, maybe or, or even know what they're going to be doing. No. Um, I'm sure they have plans. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Absolutely. So uh, I reckon that's worth a good eight points out of 8.5. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> My aim's getting better. Yes. Um, that's it for our favourite game in all the world this week. Oh, fantastic. Would you like to do the topic of the week? I would love to do the topic of the week. What is this week's topic of this week? This is how to plan a campaign. If we started like from a broad point of view, yes. Do you would you consider yourself to be a, a meticulous planner? If there is if there is a scale, yes. And at one end was meticulous planner, yes. Of someone who writes down every single detail and knows exactly what is going to happen and is prepared for everything. Or call that one. Or do you just turn up and make up as you go along, being the other end of the scale? Actually, Where would you place yourself on that scale? That, that, that's called the planning everything a 10, and okay. defining nothing a 0. Okay. I'm a definite 6, uh, varying between an 8, when I'm feeling very productive and writing lots of stuff down, mm-hmm. and sometimes going up as far as a 2. Okay. I am probably a 2 or a 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it's a pre-published adventure, in mm. which case I'm probably a zero. I actually mentioned this on Twitter the other day, and I was trying to um, prep for an adventure that yes. I was running that night. I'm not just going to say the name of it, because I'm not planning on just like, slacking people off or anything, but I was trying to run an adventure, mm-hmm. and um, it was uh, 16 pages of adventure, nice. preceded by four pages of black st- backstory. And this backstory wow. was dense with um sort of fantasy name words and places and stuff Ooh, like that and i was reading it was like it was like reading a history textbook right did you manage to stay awake whilst it was like oh i hate reading a sense of backstory for adventures yeah i much. really really do it's like i hate cutscenes in video games oh yes or long wordy like you know when they're like doing Pages and pages of writing on a film. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 nobody's got time for it. Yeah. We, we came to play games, not to read stuff. So, uh, yeah, so, nah, so I'm, I'm probably about, let's say I'm about three, probably, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you, you, you all read, but only when forced to. Mm. Like, 
Extingency. Yes. Extingency, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, 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 I've often found that my best campaigns, at least the ones my players say, uh, yes. are amongst my best campaigns, um, have been ones where I've tended to wing it. So I've got, mm. a, I've got a concept yeah. and I've got some vague ideas of what is going to happen, but yes. I haven't particularly planned it or anything like that. So, and that, that makes it quite a freeform, quite a sandboxy type of um, mm. adventure style, which I find kind of works well. And you just pick up on what the players mm. are doing and sort of run with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, really, I enjoy doing immensely, and also it involves less work, which I also enjoy immensely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, approaching things from a maximising enjoyment, minimising unnecessary effort is definitely the way to go. Mm, absolutely. That's not for everyone, though. No. Some no. people like to, you know, uh, meticulously plan their campaigns, and I suppose that's what we're here to talk about. What sort of techniques do you use when planning a campaign? Uh, with things like setting the scene, setting the tone... I see that a lot of people tend to go and enjoy huge lengths of descriptive text. Oh, God. Yeah, no. I know, right? Because uh, there are like basically three ways to do a speech. Mm. You can memorise your speech and recite it word perfect without looking at notes. You can have some bullet points that you riff off and talk about what you're going to talk about. Or you can read something out from a piece of paper. And of those, one is probably the best way to give a speech... Two is more relevant to an RPG context, and three is dreadful and should so not be I, done. I tend to find, yeah, two is two is better because what happens is instead of you delivering information in a sort of a formatted mm. manner yeah. to your place, you're basically talking to them. Yes. So you know, it's not like you you're not on stage, you're mm. not in a film, you're not being Mm-mm. reviewed or anything. Yeah. You're basically talking to your players, so you can you know talk quite casually to them, describing things using mm. whatever um, analogies you need to use to get yes. the message across in a quite natural kind yeah. of way. It works so much better. So oh, yeah. you enter a room and I was just trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Uh, it's a kitchen. So. Yeah. So for some so you could uh, you could read some box text. Yes. Box text. You enter the room. It is uh, twenty feet by three by thirteen feet across. Uh, at oh. one end there is a there, Not, there, there is a doorway and uh, the the light streams through a stained glass window and uh, t- uh, tickles imaginatively across the floor or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that was awful. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I've been in that room. <laughs> Whereas I might sort of say, okay, so um, you, go, you go into the room. Um, think about, um, you know, sort of like, oh, I don't know, Salisbury Cathedral when you walk in there and, mm. and what it kind of feels like that. So it, yeah. it's a bit like that. So you walk in there and it's about that sort of size and you can, you can sort of um, sort of feel this draft coming through as well. And okay. I'll say it quite casually like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, it's more like I'm talking to the players using frames of references they understand. Yep. rather than reading out flowery text at them. Yeah, if you've got a conceptual hook to hang things off, mm. like if you know there's a common experience that everyone in the room has had, that's probably quite a solid way to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some excellent advice that I've seen is to start with the most important things first. You walk into the room, there are some orcs at the table playing cards. <laughs> I, love, I love those uh, things where you get this sort of like half page of descriptive text of a, of a room, and then right at the end it's like, oh... And there's a 40-foot dragon. <laughs> oh, would that not have been the first thing we noticed? <laughs> that's, what, that's what you should be leaving. Well, you're busy desi- uh, describing the intricate designs on that vase over there. <laughs> <laughs> Coral Arms of the Destroyer has breathed flame all over you. The end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you start off with the things that people will notice first. So is that uh, people? People notice people first. Animals? 
Is it treasure? Like something shiny? Is there a centerpiece in the room? And you start off with that, and then you sort of... Uh, I, I find it's cast- biscuits. Biscuits. Yeah, that's, that's the things I notice first in any room. Okay, so you open the door, you notice a plate of biscuits on a table. Mm-hmm. Surrounding the biscuits are some orcs playing cards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they appear to be drinking tea. <laughs> on, which, on second thoughts, you're puzzled by the fact that they appear to be orcs drinking tea and having biscuits. But anyway, so what you should prep is where you're weak. You shouldn't prep stuff where you're good at. Like for myself, I suspect for you, dis- prepping a big description of a room, that's a lot of effort. Mm. And... Ultimately, how important is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I also find if you leave information out, yes. players will fill that in in their heads anyway. Oh, absolutely. So you don't need to describe everything because they'll do it for themselves in their heads. And if it's not important, vital yes. information, yeah, plot critical information, it yeah. doesn't really matter what it is that they're imagining, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah, right. It doesn't necessarily matter what colour they're imagining the walls to be, no. as long as that image works in their head. Yeah, if, if somebody wants to go through a room with greystone walls... Awesome. If they prefer it to be red brick, I'm not that first. Mm. If it, if I then later need to rely on a secret door being in a, according to which brick you pressed, then it's important for me to make sure I've described the walls. Mm. It's a bit like a Chekhov's, Chekhov's rifle in that fashion. Mm. If you see a rifle on the, if, if you're going to rely on the rifle going off in the third act, you need to have it there in the first act. Yeah. 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 So you should prep things you're weak at. So for us, that sort of room description less useful but even if you are weak at it having bullet points and riffing off them definitely mm-hmm. the way forwards so I guess other things would be NPCs I've, I found this really helpful in Adventurous League when I've been reading through it I like to try and give them an accent each hmm. I mean, I'm, see I'm very weak on accents so. uh, well accents is sort of my shorthand but everybody even if they can't do an accent can do different ways of talking hmm. for instance you can do someone who sounds very very uptight and all your elves might be very uptight and speak to you in such a fashion. Sorry, were you going to do a voice? Huh? Uh, Wendy. <laughs> or sometimes you could just be a bit slower. Uh, and the way you speak. And everyone has different voices that they use at different times. The way you talk to uh, a parent is different from the way you talk to a police officer. Is different from the way you talk to your dog. So, so working out NPCs and things like coming up with motivations for your NPCs. Descriptions of them. Do you need a full stat block for an NPC? Depends on the NPC. It depends on your party. It depends on whether the party is going to fight your NPC. Or, or, or not, uh, yeah, exactly. It depends on how well trained they are. What signs and signifiers are you hanging on your NPC to make them think about fighting them? Are they the sort of people that are likely to go around kicking off on like random people that are chatting to them? Mm-hmm. Some players are like that. That is quite frustrating. Yes. Fortunately, I haven't had so many of those, but... Again, I tend to be very exploration-focused in my games. Mm. So they tend to be wandering around, looking at stuff and saying, what's going on with this? Or, okay, or like the NPC is like chatting to them. Um, does your plot need two NPCs to have a conversation in front of the players? Oh, no, that I hate. That is awkward. That is just objectively terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is something to try and avoid. And this... I don't know, unless you're some kind of really, really good voice actor and can really, really somehow manage to make that come alive. Russ, I'm going to say not even then, mate. Yeah. No one yeah. wants to see your it's hot the, NPC yeah. on NPC action. No, you're right, just you're no. right. It's, it's just the worst. It's, 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 it's a bad one. Yeah. Now, it, 
I think um, occasionally you can have embassies talk to each other, but yeah. in those cases, rather than you know turning your head one way than the other and doing two different voices, oh, yeah. just tell them, just tell the players what the, the what the conversation was about. Uh, exactly, key phrases, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, and and have the framing right. For instance, at the weekend, I was playing my Cobalt Rogue, snuck up to a tent because you know what tents aren't? They're not soundproof, and nobody remembers that. So you tend to hear all sorts of interesting things through the walls. And picked up some uh, relatively useful information, hmm. which is nice. But if I'd had to listen to NPCs actually having a conversation, very dull. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, the GM can quite easily just say, um, "Yes, the butler uh, walks over to the uh, doorman and admonishes him for his poor behaviour," without having to oh. recite the conversation word for word. Exactly, exactly. It's not. It's all about. I think the main thing about that sort of scene setting sort of thing is that you have to know where your focus is. Mm. A bit like a sort of director making a film. They have to know what's the centre centre part of the scene that they're making and how it's going to transition. Mm. And I think, again, that falls into prep work, which is you sort of have to plan through things a bit in your head, but you have to offer players the at least the illusion of choice so that they at least feel that they have agency. Mm. Um, because player agency is a big thing, and railroading is the act of making it very clear there's only one one path that you can follow. Mm. Well, there's definitely uh, arguments mm. about the sort of scale between railroading and sandboxing. Yes. And uh, there are people out there that despise any, any hint of railroading, yes. which I don't agree with. I think some railroading can be very, very useful. I think, I think there's been a lot of terrible GMs out there. Yeah, bad railroading is bad. Yes. Um, good railroading is when uh, it's subtle. It, you, it's, know, you know what it's like? It's like a theme park ride, mm-hmm. like one, but one of those where you're sort of going through a haunted house, mm-hmm. and you know you're on the rails, but you don't mind... Because everything is so that's cool. That's not quite what I mean by railroading yeah. in that that kind. That's mm. that's that's sort of extreme railroading when yeah. it, when the um, thing is literally going to go this 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 and this and there's nothing yeah. going to take it off that. But what I mean is, um, there's nothing wrong with the GM steering things in certain directions oh, when yeah. it's needed at all. Mm-mm. Nothing wrong Absolutely. with that in the slightest because that's how stories yeah. are made. I mean, that would be sure actually. you can play a pure sandbox and just literally just sit there and just tap your feet waiting for the PCs to tell you what they want to do in this town and they go oh right we're going to go and have coffee and then we're going to go and rob a bank and then we're going to go and you know yeah. and make them come up with their own ideas but that <laughs> isn't good for good storytelling no that's a more lemony snickets series of incoherent events yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, d- I tend to find a mix yeah. of sandboxing and role mm. is, is is good oh yeah like a, there's like a, a sort of a decision tree to be made mm rather than a direct sort of thing. And for things like riddles to be solved and, pro- and encounters and so forth, have one solution, maybe two or three solutions in mind. But if players come up with something creative to get past it, mm-hmm. yeah, why not? Oh, yeah, absolutely never, never nerf a player's clever idea. That's just yeah. frustrating for the player and it's not fun whatsoever. They come up mm. with a clever idea and you as the GM just sitting there thinking, well, that completely defeats this elaborate and exciting thing I had in mind yeah. roll with it anyway you yeah. know go with the player's clever idea because you know the, the, the game isn't about servicing your amazing um, resolution yes it's uh, it's just that being able to adapt on, fly, yeah. on the fly I mean like we were saying um, about how to start a game and so forth being able to adapt improvise 
are key skills even when you've got a module because a module won't cover every single uh, opportunity and the more constrained players feel the more they will act out mm. and the more they'll just do something completely random that you were never expecting mm. because they're just trying desperately to get some agency get some freedom back mm. um positive hooks are what like things like treasure uh, magic items sort of like you know greed basically mm. and negative hooks would be like trying to save other people or uh, preventing destruction. And the end of the world is the sort of call to adventure. Why are they negative? I don't understand the distinction now. What's negative and positive about those? It's like whether it's a positive motivator to do something because something good will happen if you do it. Right. And negative hook would be something bad will happen if you don't do it. Right, okay, all right. So yeah, a negative it. hook would be the apocalypse. Mm. That would be a very strong negative hook because if you don't get on that, it's the end of the world. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, that's a very strong call to adventure. Mm-hmm. Whereas a positive hook would be if you go to like this dwarven hold, there could be like all sorts of magical treasure in there. Yeah. You should get in there and loot it, mate. But positive hooks are actually easier to ignore, but I think are probably better hooks. Mm. Because having to do something is a lot like work. And you know, who who wants to be an adventurer just to do work? But mm. again, it's understanding the motivations of the characters that's quite important there, do you don't you think? Yeah. What what do you need to prepare for a session? NPCs, if you have them, Mm -hmm. how they speak, descriptions of where you're going to be, what you're trying to achieve, what what each scene that you're creating is trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's that a lot of people do scenes and they don't really think about what piece of information or what what the goal of that is. Mm -hmm. If you're doing, say, a combat scene, then setting it up is really important. Mm -hmm. So do, do you personally... Uh, do you prefer to use stat blocks or do you know them all off the top of your head? Oh, I certainly, well, like in D&D. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't know them all off the top of my head. No. no. There's loads of them. No. But, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at um, improvising with them. And generally, mm. you know, when you know a game system well enough, mm. you can pretty much recreate stat blocks in your head on the fly anyway. Mm. Well, not necessarily the entire stat block, but the bits of it you need. Yeah, for right. given. You know roughly what a creature's AC is supposed to be. You know, roughly what its attack bonus is supposed to be, or what uh, what sort of amount of damage it's supposed to be doing, or what mm. sort of abilities it's it's likely to have. And what you, once you've got those, once you've basically got the sort of basic concepts of scale for these various important bits mm. in your head, it's quite easy just to just on the play do it. Yeah, but I feel there's a certain argument to be made for preparation of some things. Like if you're planning like an ambush for the party. Mm-hmm. Making a combat interesting, just so it's not you're fighting a couple of orcs in a ten foot by ten foot room. Like, yeah, you know, are they? Well, set you're talking set piece battles, basically preparing set pieces. And yeah, so but... I remember one I had, which was this great big clockwork tower, and there were all these gears revolving all at different speeds. Oh yeah. So at uh, the end of each round, all the gears you'd move all the gears around a bit, so all the players would end up being repositioned <laughs> which is always quite funny so you find yourself suddenly fighting someone different or near someone entirely different and that was that was a good fun that one i enjoyed oh, that that's, that's a really good idea actually i like that uh totally stealing that okay then <laughs> hey i charge you yeah other ones um water marsh just changing things up a bit because the general way most battles unfold is if you've got a single strong enemy, all the players will rush up and the fighters will stand around it, whacking it with sticks, and the casters will stand back and throw things at it. Yeah. How can you how can you mess mess around with this? 
And I find goblins are amazing for this because they, they're, they're terrible, terribly weak and rubbish enemies. And they're aware they're terribly weak and rubbish enemies. Mm. So things like um, if your goblins have long enough, uh, a bridge across the river, they saw through some of the important supports. Mm. They've got themselves like a little hide on the other side. Your party's coming along, they shooting arrows at you. The party rushes forwards, halfway across, the bridge collapses. How's your swim check, guy in chainmail? Mm. And obviously, in D&D, there's no penalty for wearing chainmail. But at that point, you start improvising house rules about making athletics checks at disadvantage and so forth. Yeah. Uh, or reflex saves to not fall into the water. Mm. By the time they've thrown themselves across, that's when your second hide of goblins pops out and starts rushing around and uh, engaging the wizards in close combat. Yeah, well, using waves is always a good idea in an encounter. Oh. We're not really talking about campaign planning now. We're talking about sort of encounter, managing encounters now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, using waves is always a good a good way to do it because once mm. the, the fight... Because often a fight will do, as you say, you know, kind of get bogged down in a sort of sticking point. And there's yeah. certain editions of D&D where that was really bad. Yeah. Um, fifth edition is not so bad. It's a bit more mm. mobile. But... Um, it's a lot more mobile. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, having second waves coming in just to completely disrupt that. Yes. But um, I was going to say that my favourite thing about setting up combats mm-hmm. is, generally speaking, don't make the point of the combat to kill mm. all the bad guys. Oh, yeah. That's... There's combat yeah. going on while you're yeah. trying to achieve something else. Mm. That's uh, That makes for a much more interesting combat. Yes. So, for example, you might have... Oh, I don't know. I just took my head. Um, there's a fire raging and you're fighting a whole bunch of, let's say, goblins because you mentioned yeah. goblins before. But your goal isn't to kill all the goblins. Right. It's to rescue um, sort of, I don't know, eight... Rescue the farmer's daughter. Eight children in there. So, basically, yeah. you're doing that while fighting the goblins, but you succeed in the encounter yes. by rescuing the eight children mm. and getting them out of the fire. Not by killing all the goblins. Yeah, I think that's something from the new world of dark, uh, from the world of darkness rule set where they said, mm-hmm. "What's what's? Oh yeah, it's like one of the things I read. What's the goal of this encounter? Mm-hmm. What what are the victory conditions for both sides? Yeah, and having that for the, so the goblins. Well. Yes, the goblins in that particular situation are their goal is just to kill all of you. Yeah, whereas your goal isn't to kill all of them. You have got different, mm-hmm. totally different goals. Or maybe they're also competing with you to try and uh, steal the children. Or maybe they're trying to rescue their daughter. Uh, Farmer's daughter too, and you're trying, uh, <laughs> and you're trying to rescue the farmer's daughter. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's so much competition. Why can't you just get along? Yeah. Uh, exactly. So having that yeah, that sort of competition, having different terrain, and, and really making it something so it becomes less of an exercise in dice rolling. Mm. Because I'm nothing against dice rolling, but it can go on for a very long time. Uh, and the reason why we talk about combat encounters and social encounters, mm. which have certain amounts of things, which is what is the source of conflict, dramatically speaking, in this scene? And what do people hope to get from it? And those are the key questions that you have to ask about each one of those. And what, what scenes you think are likely to come up, that goes into your session planning. And then you've got your overall campaign, which is what sessions you think are going to be. How do you get from the start, where they're zeros, all the way to where they're heroes? If that's what you want to do. You yeah, don't necessarily well, have to have a zero to hero campaign. You don't. Uh, and things like failing forward, always very strong. I think there's like was it a rule of three. Yeah, so why don't you explain, I know what it is, but why don't you explain what failing forward is? Oh, sure. Uh, well, if you have a murder mystery, say, and you want your players to um, have a go at working out what's going on, then 
a very, very common mistake is to make people roll for spotting the completely bleeding obvious. Mm. And then... Well, not so much as it's bleeding obvious, but the thing that is required for the adventure to continue. So, yes. basically, for the adventure to work, they have to spot it. Yes, and if they fail, you've hit a brick wall. And, and generally, it. you'll end up giving it to them anyway, so why make yes. a spot check? Yeah. Exactly. Why, why, why are you rolling the dice? Uh, you, you make a check... Yes. And uh, when you, if you succeed, you succeed. Yes. If you fail, you still succeed because yeah. the plot has to move forward, but with a complication. That's yeah. how failing forward works. So that allows the um, adventure to continue, but you but something bad happens. Yes. Other examples would be like someone's rather than having step a failed stealth roll lead to a fight that you'd rather not have. It makes something else more complicated, mm-hmm. and that is something that people often forget about or don't think to include. Mm. So the other like, thing you mentioned a second ago and then, yeah. um, uh, was the rule of three. Why don't you explain what that one is? Uh, the rule of three is that you should have at least three clues in any scene for a mystery. Mm-hmm. The discovery of any one of which will allow the plot to advance. Okay. So I am a bit on the spot for thinking of <laughs> things to put in. But yeah, but I mean, every time you run a game... When you first start out, you will learn something. Mm. Uh, you'll make loads of mistakes. And I think that sort of making mistakes is a continual process. Mm. It's a continual process of improvement. The idea is that you make different mistakes as you go on. Yeah. Finding new, bolder, bigger, better <laughs> mistakes to make as you go along. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we've talked quite a bit on running and planning campaigns. Yes. It's a bit of a smorgasbord, that, wasn't it? We covered quite a lot of different things. Oh, absolutely, but I think the the basic structure of you need sort of a meta plot, then you need to plot out your individual sessions, and how much plotting and planning you need to do. Or alternatively, you don't need a meta plot; you just make it up as you go along. You can, uh, certainly a valid way to do it, <laughs> but it will be, I feel, often a less satisfying story. Uh, well, I think we're probably done then on this on this particular topic of the week. Hello, your editor Daryl here to remind you of our Patreon at patreon.com slash Morris. Did it sound like the guys were jumping around from subject to subject during the main topic with no real segues between them? That's because I had to cut out a lot of great content for time, and this episode was already long enough as it is, and I wanted to make sure we focused on the subject at hand. So if you want to know more about monster design, theme and tone, crafting challenges, and creating mysteries along with discussions of cookies, Daleks, structures, aurochs, running for prime minister, and more, you can check out our outtakes and deleted scenes episode available to all of our Patreon backers the day after the show. So check us out at patreon.com slash Morris to help support the show. Thank you very much for listening to us this week. We hope that you took away some valuable tips and hints, but if you didn't, we hope you enjoyed it anyway. And if you didn't, we hope you didn't hate it too much. And if you did, we hope you do better next time. Once again, we uh, have only to thank our generous patrons who are helping enable us to continue stuff. So thank you very much for listening to us. This will be a goodbye from me, Russ. Uh, it's a goodbye from me, Peter Coffey, Southampton Guild Role Players. Goodbye from him. That's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from me. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Listening to that drivel just made me feel nauseous. Maybe a spot of eyeball raking will make me feel a bit better. But which one shall I torture?
I do enjoy Russ's screams, but Peter makes these wonderful gurgling noises when he's in pain. Decisions, decisions.